It does seem funny, doesn't it, that on what's been the hottest de week of the year so far, we're watching a uh, clip from a movie <laughs> set in a playground in the freezing cold with a guy stuck, so cold that his tongue gets stuck to the pole. Um, but I love it because the clip introduces us to that classic phrase that Ralphie explains very clearly to us, the triple dog dare. It's the phrase reserved as the final weapon in the arsenal of dares. Um, and we've called our series Triple Dog Dare uh, because we are hoping to dare you, to triple dog dare you, in fact, um, if you are a regular attender here at Connect, um, to make that decision, you know, uh, what, what is my role here? How am I involved here at Connect? Um, what's it going to take for me to move from just merely a consumer to a contributor? From a consumer to a contributor, because we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, and if you've not been here, I'll catch you up really quickly. We've established that Jesus, when he was on earth, he laid out a very clear mission, a very clear plan for what was to happen following his ministry, that his disciples, his followers were to establish what we now know as the church. And the mission was successful. The church has grown and grown across the world and across the centuries. But maybe where we've gone wrong is we've kind of misunderstood a little bit the, the role of the church. What is the church? You see, we found out in the first week that the church isn't a place to come to. It's not the building in which we sit. It's not somewhere where you go for an hour on a Sunday, check a box, and then leave. We learned that we are the church. If you are a regular attender here at Connect, then um, you may tell your friends, I go to Connect Church, and you would be correct in saying that, but the reality is you are Connect Church. You don't just go to Connect Church. Connect Church goes with you everywhere you go. When you go to work tomorrow morning, you are the church, taking Jesus into your world with you. Now, we will be celebrating in September of this year our 10-year anniversary. We started Connect Church uh, back in September of 2013, and um, from the beginning, we've never really had a membership uh, process, a membership system in place, and you may have come from a church uh, before this where they did have a membership. You had to fill out some paperwork. If you left that church, you had to resign your membership, and some churches do that, and that's fantastic. We've chosen not to, but at the same time, we do kind of have a measure that we use here in-house amongst our leadership, you know, of, of how can we determine whether somebody is, is committed to the mission? How, are they, how would we define someone here at Connect as a member of Connect? And in this series, we've been talking about a few of the things that we use to help kind of measure someone's uh, growth, how they're growing in their relationship with Jesus, how they're uh, becoming more of just a visitor to a regular attender here at Connect. And there are a few things we, we look out for. Last week, we learned that one of those things is telling others. Telling others. We talked about this idea that um, one of the measures of a, a more mature relationship with Jesus is that you want to tell other people about it. You understand that Jesus gave us this mission, this command to 
go out into all the world and make disciples of all people. And, and for some people, I was, I was having some fun conversations in the lobby last week, because for some people, they just love getting into those intense conversations and really debating things of the Bible and, and things of spirituality. And for other people, they're like, I'm terrified of that. I'm worried that I won't know the right answer or what to say. And, and, and simply inviting someone to join you at church may be the best way of telling others. Some of you are here today because somebody invited you to an event that we did or to a service here at Connect. It's a wonderful way of helping connect our community to Christ. And then many of us are doing a fantastic job of just living a wonderful Jesus-filled life and it's impacting others around us. People are seeing the difference that Jesus can make in our lives. So telling others is a great way, uh, it's a great behavior exhibited by a contributor, not a consumer. But there's another way that we can kind of gauge uh, a level of commitment here at Connect, and that is by generosity, by your generosity. So when you make a decision to give financially here at Connect, if you've ever done that, if you've ever you know, put a, uh, a gift in the boxes at the back or maybe made a donation online, it shows us that you've made a decision, whatever that gift may be, you've made a decision to say, I'm no longer here just to consume, I want to contribute. I believe in the mission of this local church. I've heard some of the stories they've told about things they're doing locally and globally, and, and I believe in that, and I want to support that. I think it's a great thing to be able to support that, and I've got to tell you, as the lead pastor of Connect Church, I want to thank you so much on behalf of all of our leaders here, our board, our staff. We, we see God do so much in our community and in the surrounding areas across America, across the world. And we are always amazed at how much God is able to do out of this, this small central Illinois church. And we couldn't do it without the generosity of people like you, people watching online, who have said, hey, my heart as a contributor more than a consumer is to give, to support the mission of Connect Church. So I want to talk a little bit more about that this morning, why people give, the idea behind it, uh, maybe even challenge you a little more this morning to think about uh, where you stand on this idea of giving. And I will say this, um, if it's your first time here this morning, if you're just visiting, uh, this isn't for you. You get to sit back, you get to relax and just kind of listen in. This is kind of more family talk around the dinner table. This is people who are uh, regular attenders here at Connect who have kind of made a decision to follow Jesus and his teachings. So this morning, you get to kind of think through as a follower of Jesus, uh, Maybe even ask yourself the question, God, how should I respond to this this morning? Because the truth is, when it comes to subjects like generosity and money, uh, especially when they're talked about in church, it can be difficult. And sadly, that's because there have been occasions where pastors or churches have mishandled this subject or even have mishandled finances themselves. We read stories in newspapers, we hear stories about things, and it, it kind of leaves us sometimes feeling a bit suspicious, lacking in trust. I've even heard the phrase from people, we didn't like that church because all they ever talked about was money, or all they wanted from us was our money. So I'm going to be honest, as the pastor, when I sit down and look at all the subjects I want to teach on throughout a year, 
I'd love to shy away from this subject altogether. (laughs) But then I look at Jesus and I find that he talked about it a lot. Because it's not just the context of here in church, it's the context of of the money and the wealth and the possessions that we have in our lives. I found out this week, studying for this message, roughly 15% of the content of Jesus' teaching was about money, wealth, and possessions. 11 of the 39 parables he taught involved this subject. And I think it's because he knows the power that this can have over our lives, the power to, to do good, but also the power to bring harm. And I think he likes to talk about it because Jesus doesn't, he doesn't talk about money because he wants something from us. He talks about it because he wants something for us. Jesus talked about this subject because he wanted us to understand there is something uh, free and liberating if we will give this area of our lives to him. Because he knows the harm an unhealthy view towards money, wealth, possessions can have on us. Especially if as followers of Jesus, we're trying to surrender our whole lives to him and say, Jesus, you get everything. I want you to guide me in my relationships, in my, uh, my workplace, in my family, my kids, even my wealth, possessions, and money. And it's not easy. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people. And it turns out they probably weren't unlike us. Because he said, talking about money and possessions in Matthew 6, 24, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. He said, if you allow some of these things to become like gods in your life, it's going to be very difficult to worship God when this has become like a God in your life. And if you think about it, just this last week, how many times have you found yourself thinking about or even worrying about money? Wondering if you'll make it to the next paycheck. Afraid something will break because you've got no cushion in place to fix it. Checking your retirement account to see how things are going. Questioning your decision to buy that $35 good neighbor wristband when your kid bursts into tears after just one ride. (laughs) Financial decisions all week long, and sometimes they can grip us with fear. If we were honest, I think if we look at some of those things, we'd realize, wow, I I do get kind of fixated about this. I do get kind of worried about this. I'm sure it's just me, but I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I'll be driving my car and I'll, I'll be out, you know, and the big billboard's up there for the mega millions and I'll see that it's now up to this, like, uh, record-breaking, like, a billion, something absolutely ridiculous. And straight away, you know, for the next couple of days, I start dreaming. Oh, what I could do with a billion dollars. <laughs> I start thinking, oh, and I start going there. I'm like, man, I tell you what, I would, I would buy a nice hat, bigger house, all the places in the world I'd like to travel to. I've got some ideas and some cars, but then quickly I switch gears because I'm the pastor. So I think, no, no, what are all the good things I could do? <laughs> you know, I probably should have done that sooner. But uh, after a day or two, I start thinking more of the charitable things. You know, I could give to this organization. I could help people in this area. And then I start thinking of all the, the wonderful charitable things, general things I could do to friends and family. I just picture this conversation of me getting to my good friend and saying, hey, I know you've got all this college debt and you've got a wonderful job. I want to pay off all your student loans. 
I think what you're doing is wonderful. I want to pay off your mortgage for you. And I think of these wonderful conversations I have. This is all going on in my head over the period of a day or two, leading up to the, the grand draw. Then I start to get anxious because I know that there'll be some people. I, I just picture this conversation, a friend coming to me saying, why didn't you pay off my loans? And I had that awkward conversation of like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, and then like, start, people start treating me differently. And suddenly, I'm starting to like get knots in my stomach of all the difficult conversations I might have to have with people because of my newfound wealth. And now I start getting nervous. I'm like, what if I win all this money? So I, and I'm like, I, there's no way I can buy a ticket. This would ruin my life. This, this is absolutely ridiculous. A, I'm not going to buy the ticket. B, because I know I'm never, ever going to win. But already I'm racked with fear of what might happen if I did win. That's so stupid. I know. But sometimes that's the power of, of wealth, possessions, money, when we start to fixate on it and we start to dwell on it, before you know it, you're starting to worry. And Jesus doesn't want us to be stressed about this area of our lives. Listen to what he says in Luke 12, 29. He says, what I'm trying to do is get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. He wants us to move from an obsession with getting to the fulfillment of giving. And it sounds so simple on paper, doesn't it? But we live in a world and a society where everything, every day, we don't even realize sometimes we are being bombarded with messages that are telling us, you want to be happy? You need this version of the iPhone. You need the latest Version is, you need a third car garage. I said that American, didn't I? Garage. Come on, Dave. What's going on here? <laughs> so allow me really quick here to give a little Bible study to show where the idea of giving at church comes from. Many followers of Jesus, they've made a decision uh, to give uh, to the church they attend. Many of them have get, made a decision for a specific amount that they've chosen to give out of their income. And we're going to go back through the Bible and look at a few verses here to help you understand why they came to this conclusion. So in the Old Testament, God put all sorts of laws and principles in place through Moses for the people of Israel. And one of those rules that he had, so he's got all the people of Israel and they're starting this new um, people, you know, they've got this new land and God is leading them and guiding them and they worship him. And, and uh, there's all sorts of rules with regards to food and behavior and who they can marry and who they can't marry and Ten Commandments, all these kind of things. But they had a rule in place of what they should do with all that they received. We can read it in Leviticus 27, verse 30. Uh, God, through Moses, said to the people, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Later on in the Old Testament, there was a prophet by the name of Malachi, and we read a story of him challenging the people of Israel for not handling this particular rule, this particular principle correctly. In Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10, it says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. So starting there in the Old Testament, that's where this idea comes from. You may have heard that phrase in a church. You may have heard somebody say, uh, we're going to uh, take up the 
the tithes and the offerings, or this morning the tithe will go to, and that's where that phrase comes from, this Old Testament principle that the people of Israel were to give 10% of everything they had back to God, back to the temple. Many people still to this day use this as their guideline on how much they want to give to the church. Now, there are some people who believe that because this was an Old Testament law, because this was for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, then Jesus came uh, to show that the Old Testament law was never going to be good enough, and it was Jesus' death and resurrection, his sacrifice, that what was truly needed to set us free. So, so people think, well, because that was an Old Testament law, it doesn't apply anymore to the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 8, 6, verses 13. Now, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So some people say, well, because, it's a, uh, because we live as a New Testament church now, we don't have to follow those Old Testament rules and laws where we have to give a tenth of our grain or a tenth of our you know, uh, stuff that we get to the temple like they used to in the Old Testament. But others, they believe that Jesus never expressly said we should no longer do that. So because he didn't say we shouldn't do it, uh, we should continue to do that. Here's what I believe based on the teachings of Jesus. I believe Jesus is far more concerned about our heart in this matter, our willingness to be able to surrender to God and say, God, I want you to have my heart. I don't wanna be driven by, by, by things that would pull me away from you. So God, I wanna submit my life and every part of it to you. Whatever that looks like, so speak to me, God. Show me what you would have me do. Because when I read the teachings of Jesus, I see that he was always challenging the religious leaders for obeying the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. So they had to follow the letter to the, to the T, and, and they were missing the idea, the spirit behind it. So when it comes to something like tithing, for example, and maybe you're this morning, you're here, and as a follower of Jesus, you've chosen that number. You've said, I want to give 10% of what I earn back to the church. I want to, I want to tithe, I want to give in that way. And that is fantastic. I think that is awesome. But let me just challenge you to think about this just for a second here. Imagine if somehow it became known that the key to a successful marriage is that you kiss your spouse once a day. Studies have been done, and, and they found out that if you kiss your spouse just one time, no more, no less, just one time every day, your marriage is guaranteed to succeed. In fact, they've studied marriages, and they've discovered that, that the ones that fell, when they looked, it was because last February, there was a Wednesday where they forgot to kiss, and that was the beginning of the end. They missed that one opportunity. If we knew that to be true, Every day, we would make sure that we kissed our spouse. We'd, we'd go to kiss them. Again, later, they stop saying, what are you doing? You've already kissed me once. You kissed me this morning. Oh, yeah, oh, that was close. Thank you. I forgot I'd already checked the kiss box this morning. But on the other hand, you might leave one day. It's an evening. You're going out for the evening. You remember when you get back, your wife's going to be asleep in bed, and you rush back in, and she's kind of eating a bowl of ice cream, and you like push the spoon out of her, kiss her really quick. Oh, that was close. 
almost forgot to give you the one kiss of the day that you, you need. Maybe you're going away on a vacation. You're going to be gone for five days. So very carefully before getting in the car to drive to the airport, you stop, you kiss your wife five times very carefully because that's how many days you're going to be gone. I mean, yes, you'd be doing what needs to be done. But what's meant to be a wonderful sign of love and affection has now become a duty, something done as a burden or obligation instead of out of love. And listen to how Paul describes giving to the New Testament church of Corinth. In one, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a burden or an obligation to me. That sounds like love and affection. That sounds like Paul talking to the church saying, this is something that you can do to express love and gratitude and affection and thanks to God. To recognize that God has blessed you and as a result, you now wanna bless others. So as I said this morning, if you've made it a goal to, to set aside 10% of your income, that is fantastic. And I'm not going to tell you you are uh, wrong for doing that or right for doing that. I think this is something you have to pray about. Say, God, what would you have me do? Because anytime we give, listen to what Paul says about generosity in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, Paul is speaking to Timothy to tell some of the wealthier people in his church, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Paul's message to the wealthy people in Timothy's church is, hey, you need to speak to God. What, what would God have you do? What good could you do to bless others? Because here's the challenge that I run into sometimes when I think about the idea of the tithe. For some, it's too much. And for some, it's not enough. For some, it's too much. And for some, it's not enough. Let me explain what I mean by this this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're brand new in your faith. You're brand new in following Jesus, but you're really feeling like God is speaking to you and challenging you. And this is an area of your life that you've been thinking about recently and praying about, and, and you feel like God wants you to, to maybe be a little more generous. Maybe as a part of Connect, maybe you've now moved to that step where you consider yourself not just a, uh, a consumer, but a contributor. And you've been here on a Sunday where we've talked about, you know, uh, if you want to give this morning, there's an opportunity to give, or thank you for the gifts that you give, and, and you thought, I want to give. Now, if you were to hear that um, the only standard is 10%, that may be a way too big of a jump from where you're at right now. You might say, I can't go from nothing to 10%. That's just impossible. So, so why even try? I don't want to stop that from you giving this morning. 
you may feel guilty because you give less than that amount, but Paul says God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He didn't define how much that gift needs to be. He says he loves everyone who gives. Now, I think it's a great goal, maybe for some to set, to say, how much God would you have me give? What is your amount you'd have me give? But here's why I think the, the tithe can be a challenge to some, to some, because sometimes it's not enough. The truth is, some of us are extremely blessed. We may be in a place to give more than 10%, but we've chosen to cap our generosity because we said, well, the book says 10%, so I can stop right there. Here's one of my favorite stories about this idea. There's a pastor by the name of Rick Warren. Rick Warren, you might have heard of him. He's a pastor of a very big church out in California called Saddleback. Uh, he planted the church, I think about 30 years ago, him and his wife, Kay, uh, and just was doing a great job. This church was growing out there in Orange County, California. You know, he was leading this church. He'd been the pastor there for over 20 years, and the church is doing great things in the community. And then one day, Rick wrote a book based on some teaching he'd been doing. It was a, just a simple concept. This book was called The Purpose Driven Life. Well, he didn't know this when he wrote this book, but this turned out to become an incredible international bestseller. Over 30 million copies of this book and other books on the same kind of theme, purpose-driven church, purpose-driven marriage, have been sold around the world. They've taken Rick to a brand new place in the area of wealth. He's made millions of dollars just from the sales of these books. But just this week, as I was reading about him, I read an article in Forbes magazine that explains with an interview with Rick Warren how he's adjusted to this newfound wealth. He says, I made a decision not to let it change my lifestyle. I still drive a 12-year-old Ford. I live in the same house. I've lived in the same house for the last 22 years. I bought my watch at Walmart, and I don't own a boat or a jet. He decided, because he was making so much money from the sales of this book, to stop taking a salary from his church. He said, listen, I'm getting enough money from the book sales. This church, let's use the money for other things. So I don't want you to pay me anymore as the lead pastor. I'll still be the lead pastor, but I won't take any salary. In fact, I want to pay back the last 25 years of salary that I've got. He made a donation to the church to cover 25 years of salary that the church had paid him over the years. He's also famous for the decision he made to reverse tithe. He decided, I'm going to live on 10% and give away 90%. Now, here's what I think of when I hear that story. Well, when I write a book that sells 30 million copies, I'll do that. <laughs> if I've got millions and millions, I'd be happy to give away more than I'm living on. But here's the amazing thing. Warren talks about when he and his wife started the church straight out of college, and they felt like God had challenged them on their generosity. So the very first year, they made a decision to give 11% instead of 10. He'd grown up believing that, you know, tithing was what he should do, but he said, God, I think you want to stretch me. So he gave 11. He said a year later, they prayed about it, they decided to give 12, then 13. He chose to give generously over and above what could be viewed as his obligation. He says, the Bible teaches that we are to love people and use money. But we often get that reversed and you start loving money 
and using people to get more money. Money is simply a tool to be used for good because I believe God wants us to move from an obsession with getting to the fulfillment of giving. So this morning, if you'll allow me, I'd love to triple dog dare you to seek God in this area of your life, to say, God, what would you have me do? And can I give you just two super practical ideas of something you can do from today moving forward with regards to this? The first is, I would challenge you, think about what it would look like to plan your giving, to plan your giving. If this is something you feel like, um, as a, a regular attender here at Connect, as somebody who's part of the mission of the church, I wanna support the church in this way, so, so I'm gonna come up with a plan. This may require you talking to your spouse, praying about it, asking God what he would have you give. If you've never given anything, maybe it's time to, to step up and, and do something, just take a step of faith in that direction and do something. But maybe you've always given the same amount and it's time to say, God, is this what you want me to continue to do? If you decide to choose 10%, because that helps you plan better and come up with a set amount to give each time, that's awesome. But a, a great place to start anyone's generosity journey is just to have a plan. Rather than just kind of see how you feel on the day, just say, God, what, what could our plan be as a family? And then second, my challenge would be that you would prioritize your giving. This is something I, I adopted myself very early on as a Jesus follower. It's helped me a lot when it comes to giving and generosity. I have decided that when I get paid, I get paid twice a month. The very first check I write, personally for Casey and I, is a donation to the church. That's actually not entirely true because I don't write checks anymore. It's an online donation, but, but our, our first donation, our first transaction we make after payday, because what I know is if I wait till the end of the month, things are gonna happen and we're gonna eat out more than we realize and there's gonna come a place where I'm now towards the end of the paycheck and I'm kind of thinking, well, can I afford to? So I want God to know that he's blessed me so much in my life, I want him to have first. I want him to be first in every area of my life, even the time that I choose to give. So I don't wait till the end of the month, only to discover that I've not got enough. I choose at the beginning to give what I've planned to give. In case I talk about this a lot, we pray about this a lot. Anytime I give up, anytime I talk about this, it sets us back to sitting down thinking, could we do more? Is there something different we could do? So it's good to always say, God, what would you have me do? So as I said, it's never easy to talk about this, but I do think, like I said, Jesus talked about this a lot. I've experienced it in my life that when I've chosen to give, to have a plan to prioritize it, God really has blessed us as a family. He's looked after us. There's been times where uh, our needs have been met, where we were unsure of how it's gonna happen. And I think it's because I've just chosen to give this area of my life to him. To say, God, I want you to, I wanna submit my life to you, every part of my life. And I'm so grateful for all you've done that I'm gonna choose out of a spirit of gratitude to give back. So I hope this morning as we continue through this series, uh, another element, like I said, that we can kind of see if you're really a, you know, uh, part of the mission here at Connect Church is, is in giving. And I hope this is something you would think about and pray about and talk together as a family. Because God is able to do so much through Connect and we are so grateful for all that you do. 
So I'm going to finish this morning with a very practical application for every one of you. A few uh, weeks ago, I got to go to a, a wonderful fundraiser here locally for Camp Hope. If you've not heard of Camp Hope, Camp Hope is an incredible organization. Uh, it exists here locally. It's been running for about 10 years now. And uh, it works with families whose children have cancer or um, serious blood diseases. And because of that, they can't go to a traditional camp. There's too many medical complications that they have to live with for them to just go to a regular camp with regular food and regular activities. So this camp is just for kids in this situation. There's great medical care. The food is really important. There's, there's a, it's just an incredible camp. It runs in Bloomington. These kids get to go for free to this camp through the donations of people. And this fundraiser we went to, um, there were many donations made that night to help make Camp Hope happen. I went as a representative of Connect Church, and that night, Connect Church made a donation to Camp Hope. So if you've given, part of your giving has already gone to help this wonderful organization. You know, we as a church, we've chosen to set aside over 10% of what we receive in income and use that to help start other churches to help, because we believe this makes a difference in our finances if we submit to God and give him uh, this area of the church's finances. But following the um, fundraiser, I said to some of the organizers, we have two of the board members attend Connect Church, Dave Matthews, Ryan Beck, great families, and they attend here at Connect. Um, I was speaking to them and some of the organizers, I said, hey, I know as a church, people are going to want to do something. If they know what's happening in this wonderful camp for these kids, uh, what are some of the other needs? And they said, well, there is one big need. You know, when it comes to food, that's such a huge part of our expense. So if Connect Church wanted to cover just one food item for the week, that would free up money for us to be able to do so many other activities with the kids. I said, well, give me an idea. And they said, well, the fruit alone, just the fruit for one week at camp is $3,500. That's how much fruit they, uh, uh, oh, that's how much money they spend on fruit. So you've got a chance this morning to buy some fruit. So out in the lobby is a tree when you leave, and on the tree, we have some, uh, some fruit with $25, $50, and $100, and I've put enough fruit out there, we've put enough fruit out there that if every piece of fruit gets taken, all of the fruit will be covered. So if you want to take a step of faith this morning in generosity, if you want to say, God, I, I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll take this first step, here's a wonderful opportunity to be generous and to make a huge impact in a wonderful local organization. The fruit's on the tree by the welcome desk. We've got an uh, iPad there, so you can give right away. You can give online. You can write a check or cash. But if you take like $100 or you take $150, whatever you choose to do, when you've got that fruit, you've bought that fruit. So make sure you pay for that fruit because uh, that'll cover the uh, entire amount if it, if it all works properly. So, um, But it's just a great opportunity for us as a Connect Church family to say, hey, we, we believe that God has put us here to make a difference in the world in which we live, and we'd love to make a difference in the lives of these kids and these families. So let's pray together, and then I think we've got a few announcements, and then you have the opportunity to go check out the tree. Father, we love you so much. And God, I do believe, Lord, that this, this is a, uh, there's a reason that Jesus, you spoke about this so much, and it's because it's such a, a large part of our life, our money, our wealth, our possessions. 
And very often, Lord, we can get trapped with fear or worry because of not having enough or not being able to do this or that. And, and Lord, I don't think you're looking to take from us. I think you're just wanting us to surrender this area of our lives to you. And say, God, I, I trust you with my life. So as a result, I want to trust you with this area of my life. So Lord, if that means choosing to give, choosing to pick a set amount to give, choosing a plan or a priority on how we're going to give, Lord, I pray you'd stretch our faith in that. I would pray you stretch us a little bit in that. Because God, I think as we do that, we're gonna see you in our lives. We're gonna see you provide more in our lives. We're gonna see you uh, take away some of those fears and uh, concerns because we see evidence of you just um, looking over all of our life. So help us in that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.